This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in this episode, we'll have a special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets. Online at fansets.com. A path to control, a family feud, and an emotional farewell. Episode 9 of Star Trek Discovery was an emotional roller coaster throughout, which ended on a note that would bring the most stoic of Vulcans to tears. From the continuing feud between Spock and Burnham to the mystery of Section 31's control, we continue to fall into the rabbit hole that is the mystery of the Red Angel. Were any questions answered this week? Well, let's find out. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. As our favorite ship and crew continue to elude Starfleet in Section 31, a welcomed ally shows up to help figure out exactly what's going on with all this Red Angel business. And when they arrive at Section 31 headquarters, they get what they least expected, and the results turn out to be, well, pretty disastrous. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled Project Daedalus. One of the things I love best about this season is the fact that the writers continue to focus in on the rest of the crew, and this week was no exception as Arium's past was finally revealed to us, and unfortunately, we found out about it not a moment too soon. While I think some people saw it coming, the final scenes of this episode were really tough to handle. And speaking of tough to handle, how on earth could I possibly hope to do this show without my trusted podcast partner? If my mind were being taken over to help end all sentient life in the galaxy, I know I can count on him to do the right thing. And, well, he would probably do it even if I wasn't trying to cause Armageddon. He is my special friend. He is my brother in Trek. And he is my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, um, I think we got a lot to talk about, especially in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. Am I right? Allegedly. Allegedly. We can't really confirm or deny that yet because we haven't given the spoiler warning. But I just want you to know that, uh, buddy, I would airlock you in a second. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the introduction, buddy. It's good to be here. Um, This... uh, this is a this is a rough one, you know. You and I watched this episode this week, and we both kind of felt like it was a kick in the gut, and that's because it was. Yeah. So a lot to a uh, lot to dive in on here with Project Daedalus. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a lot to talk about. A lot of things to uh, to dissect and discuss. Uh, but we want to hear from our listeners about their thoughts too. So how can they get in touch with us to give us their thoughts on uh, Project Daedalus? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, Dan, on Twitter, we can be found at Discovering Trek and on ye old book of faces, you know, if it's actually up this week, you can catch up to us at facebook.com slash discovering Trek and either place you can become part of the discussion, leave us comments, questions, or even your thoughts on what transpired at the end of this week's episode. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Plus, you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you could leave us might be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thanks, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 9 of Star Trek Discovery... Stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery. Watch the latest episode and then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Project Daedalus. Trainees? To the briefing room. So, Bill, here we are in the briefing room to start our discussion on this very difficult episode. Uh, Let's get uh, some high-level thoughts first. Uh, Thumbs up or thumbs down, and why? Well, I got to say, this this one's a thumbs up. I thought it was done extremely well. 
I thought that it was an episode that made you feel a lot of things. We may not have known much about Arium before this episode occurred. And I think we got just enough to make the end of this episode as impactful as it was. I think it was a story told incredibly well on all sides, whether that's in front of the camera, behind the camera, behind the scenes. And um, it, it's one that I still, even though it's a thumbs up, it's a, it's a sad thumbs up at that. I agree. Uh, for the ninth time this season, we're both giving a thumbs up uh, to uh, to an episode. It wasn't the best episode of the season, but when you look at the amazing writing that has taken place so far, this is a critical piece to the puzzle of the Red Burst and the Red Angel in this week's storyline. Uh, plus, we get to see the additional things going on with Spock and Burnham and Spock and Stamets, which we'll talk about later. Of course, Section 31 and, of course... Arium and her backstory and what happens with her. Add to that the directorial perfection that is Jonathan Frakes. Uh, even if it's not the best episode of the season in terms of what we've seen so far, because there have been some real amazing episodes, this one was pretty freaking good. So I too gave it a thumbs up. Well, hey, this was this isn't Subrosa. I mean, you know, Frakes <laughs> Frakes directed that one too, and it's probably the only one of his episodes that I haven't enjoyed in his entire career of directing Star Trek. So, um, but this one is, is right up there with some of the best ones he's done. It was just, it looked like a feature film. And I think that this is a format that he has just probably grown to love and wish he had had something like that when he was shooting TV episodes, you know, 30, 30 years ago. I'll tell you, I'm sure we're going to get, I have a feeling we're going to talk about him a little bit more later on, maybe during Starfleet Commendations, but I don't know about you. But during the opening credits of the show, I always, you know, I'm always humming the music to myself and and watching all of the different parts of the of the opening. But when it gets to the directed by, and you see Jonathan Frakes' name pop up on screen, you just know you are in for something really awesome. And definitely this week too. Absolutely, you know, I I love seeing his name. I love seeing uh, Olatunde Osansanmi's name. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a name I would like to add to that. I would love to see Roxanne Dawson's name added to the list. Yes, because she directs some fantastic stuff, you know, and and has ever since she she stopped being a regular in Star Trek Voyager. Um, she's she's directed some some incredible episodes of of incredibly popular TV shows, and I think that it's time to to bring her home to Star Trek. I like that. So let's start talking about the episode a little bit. Let's go right with the first scene. We see the discovery in orbit of some planet. Very nice special effects. And then we see a super striped up shuttlecraft with like the racing stripes all on it. And there is our friend Admiral Cornwell showing up to help the crew um, without people supposedly knowing that she's there to help them because they are a wanted ship. I got to tell you, she is has become a fan favorite very quickly. She hasn't been in every episode, but every episode that she's in, she's really just done a fantastic job. Jane Brooke is great. She really is. You know, rank has its privileges. And when you're an admiral, you get to have a shuttle with a badass paint job. <laughs> um, I'm all for it. Um, I, 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 I like Cornwell. I have to feel like I have to say that before I say what comes next. She's made some incredibly morally ambiguous decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in just a season and a half of Star Trek Discovery. Um, I think as a person, she has an unenviable task of dealing with some of these things. But when you look at some of the things she's allowed to happen, right? Um, like taking the Emperor of the Terran universe and making them a Section 31 operative, mm-hmm. or um, uh, greenlighting the plan to commit Klingon genocide, um, I, I have a hard time... I have a hard time going along with that sometimes, but the more I see of Cornwell, the more I like her, if that makes sense. makes perfect sense. I, uh, all of her dialogue is, is very well done. There's a lot of snarkiness sometimes to the things that she's saying, which I really appreciate. I've seen online some people are kind of scared as to whether she's a bad moral or not, if she's going to end up being someone that does something that – you know, she's done these things that you just talked about, like the genocide of the Klingons possibly taking place or or Giorgio in Section 31. Is she going to end up being the bad guy like we saw with Lorca last season? People are worried about that. I'm not so much worried about that because I really like what she's doing and I just don't even want to think about the possibility that she might not be the, the character that we've grown to appreciate so much. But she's she's done fantastic. And I got to say that speech or I should say that argument that she and Captain Pike had on the bridge when they were um, 
deciding what their next course of action was going to be was very, very interesting. You got a little bit more information of why the Enterprise was kept out of the war. And was she doing that just to, to coddle Pike's you know, ego a little bit? Or, or did she really mean that if, if they were going to lose, they wanted the best to still be around to help pick up the pieces? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to back up a second and talk just one brief second more about Cornwall. I don't think her character is, is necessarily unassailable. But I don't think she's a bad moral. Uh, I think that uh, she probably has not known how to deal with some of these things. And in the interest of the greater good, she has made decisions that are not necessarily in the best interest of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she's going to uh, all of a sudden turn into a, a bad moral, you know, some future season down the road. Regarding uh, the Enterprise and that decision, no, I think she genuinely meant it. Um, you know, when she looks at Pike and says, you know, we wanted the best of us to survive. Um, I, I think that, I think she firmly believes that, although (laughs) it's a bit of a backhanded compliment because everybody else on the discovery, uh, was not picked for that. And they're all going, what about us? Are we chopping? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, let me ask you this. That was a very tense moment between the two brilliantly acted by both Jane and Anson. But I got to ask with what we saw how we saw Pike react and the way that he was kind of given her lip was that kind of out of line for Pike and was it out of his character because he spends time talking to Ash Tyler about the chain of command and and how you need to do things a certain way then he hauled off in front of the uh, in front of the entire crew with Admiral Cornwell what do you think about that i actually i thought it was i loved it i thought it was great but is it non pike i think there's two separate questions here and i'm going to address them in order was it out of line Yep. Was it out of character? No. Um, it's, it's really not out of character for any Starfleet captain we've seen because they've all challenged the authority uh, of the Admiralty at times when they've had to, whether it's Kirk and a Commodore or Kirk and an Ambassador or Picard and an Admiral, uh, Star Trek Insurrection, I'm looking at you, or Cisco talking to Ross or, or Janeway, uh, who I'm sure challenged more than an Admiral on her under occasion, <laughs> or even Archer, you know, with Admiral Forrest. Yeah. I think they have all challenged the people directly above them. And I, th- I don't think that's out of character for any of them. And I certainly don't think it's out of character for Chris Pike. Well, I don't think it's out of character to challenge the Admiral, but do you think based on what he was talking to Ash about that it was out of character to do that in front of everybody the way he did? I mean, it's not something that you can, you know, the Admiral can be dressing you down and then say, Hey, can we go talk in the side room? But some people have questioned whether or not that was that was something that we would expect to see from Chris Pike. That's why I say it was a little out of line. I mm-hmm. still don't think it's out of character. Okay. No, that's good. I, I think it fits with with Pike's vision of how things work on a starship. You know, uh, when uh, he's talking to Ash Tyler, he wants Ash to know that Section 31 is not in charge of the Discovery. He is. Right. And that he gets the final say, especially when, you know, the, the chair outranks the badge. Uh, in this case, um, Pike was clearly upset. And I, I can absolutely see him doing that. Okay. No, I, I agree. Um, I just like to throw out the – play the devil's advocate, so to speak, with the different things that I see uh, online between the time the episode uh, is on and the time we record. Um, continuing on the bridge, I really love the continued bonding that we see with the rest of the bridge crew. And when I say bonding, I see I say us as fans being able to bond with these other members of the bridge crew. We didn't see them in season one barely at all. In season two, we started to see them more and more and more. And now we're seeing reactions and 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 relationships between these crew members. And I think that they the writers of the show have made a a real effort to try to make these characters feel more part of what's going on. I think that's true. I, I think that I think that there was a huge missed opportunity here. You know, we talked about the short treks earlier, you know, this uh this season. We talked about how we wished that they had taken some of the bridge crew and given them some of these episodes that so we could learn more about them. And I think that the Arium chunks of this episode would have been the perfect short trek. So I think that's really an opportunity missed by the producers and, and you know, um, uh, uh, 
I would have liked to have seen it come out that way. However, okay. I do think that these bonding moments worked really well in this episode. It was good to see them relate interpersonally. That's something we're used to seeing in Star Trek. Um, it's something we haven't gotten a whole lot from Discovery, I think, by virtue of how they're telling the story. You know, we've talked about how it's a novel for television and they unload, you know, one chapter of that novel a week. And we don't see some of these behind the, you know, uh, sorry, uh, off the bridge moments. They happen. We just don't necessarily see them. So, but it was nice to, to get treated to that this week. Do you agree with some people out there that have said that by doing that this week with this character and then having what happens to her happen was kind of a cheap way to do it? Because I don't agree with that. No, I, I don't agree with that at all. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, there are plenty of other examples where this has happened mm -hmm. in Star Trek and out of Star Trek. Sure. Um, I think that to me, that speaks more of people wishing they had had more time getting to know this character like they did in this episode, which I think is a different, you know, uh, complaint. Okay. It's one I understand, but I don't think it cheapens what happens in this episode at all. I agree. The other thing I wanted to bring up in regards to the Discovery Bridge scenes that we saw this week was something that I unfortunately really didn't like. It's not often that I take a moment to say something I really didn't like in an episode, but I got to say, man, I really disliked when Tilly started motor mouthing to the Admiral when she first arrived. You know, we've been over uh, the course of this season talking about, you know, are they overdoing it with Tilly? You know, what's going on? And over the last couple of weeks, we've really seen a change in her character, which made me think that that had kind of been put to the wayside a little bit. I thought those few seconds where she was just jibber jabbering out loud about nothing really was a negative aspect of this episode and kind of made me think that Tilly had taken a step forward and two steps back with just that small line of dialogue. What do you think? Yeah, I think it was unnecessary. Um, I don't think that we need those moments as frequently as, as we've had them this season. Okay. They established last season. We get it. Tilly has this nervous energy and that makes her mouth run on and she just starts saying pretty much whatever comes into her mind. I understand. Uh, but I think at this point we should be kind of past that or at least not featuring it as much as we have um, because Tilly added so much more toward the back half of this episode. Absolutely. You know, I thought that the contributions of her character were, were in line with what I expect from Tilly at this point, mm -hmm. especially from an incident in the command training program. Right. So, uh, yeah, it, um, that was a little painful. Um, but it, to me, it was probably the, a very tiny thing in an episode that I thought was pretty great. Okay. That's, uh, I can, I can understand that. I just, I'm hoping that it's not something that we continue to come back on week after week. And when we're on like the final episode of the season that we're still talking about one of those uncomfortable scenes with Tilly that we may not thought of was needed, but we'll see. So good stuff going on in the bridge. Let's talk about the family issues that we have going on in this episode because we got some family issues going on. Just uh, a couple. Spock, oh my gosh, Spock and Burnham. Um, the references that Spock had with the problems he has had with Sarek, I thought was brilliant dialogue and fantastic writing because it ties Journey to Babel right into what's going on now. I thought that was very well done. But my question for you, we know Spock is broken right now. We know he's not the logical first officer of the Enterprise yet, and he has emotion, and he's struggling with what's going on, and he's got a lot on his plate. Was he too? Was he over emotional in Burnham's quarters to a point where it was kind of non-believable? I guess is my question. I don't think so. I don't think he's being over emotional at all. You know, he's gone from from keeping his emotions in check to actually experiencing some of them. So he's kind of at polar extremes at this point. And I'm sure that some of that is foreign to him on some level. And like you said, he's learning to enjoy it on, you know, in, in, in this particular case. So for me, I don't think he's being over emotional at all. And I do think he's that broken. I do think he's that lost because he's got to find that center again. He just, you know, barely figured out, you know, the whole time thing with the Telosians. Um, I have a feeling it's going to take a lot more for him to get his center back and, and to, you know, rely more on his logic than, than his feelings, um, at this point. He's, he certainly seems to still have a lot of resentment 
with what happened between uh, he and Michael when they were kids. Uh, I thought it was a real slap in the face in a in a great way. I thought it was very well done when the Admiral was talking to Spock about his sister and he interjected not by blood. Yeah. I thought that was a great uh, piece of dialogue. You could see the look on, on Michael's face when that, when that happened. Um, Let's, we we were talking about it just a minute ago. Let's go back into Burnham's quarters when the two of them uh, started to play chess. First of all, great to see three dimensional chess on Star Trek discovery. I really liked having that. It was a little bit more um, uh, detailed than I remember seeing it in the past, but I, I like seeing that. Um, who do you think was right and who do you think was wrong during that argument between Burnham and Spock? Um, I, I think they were both a little column A, a little column B. Um, I, I do think Spock is 100% right about Burnham. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't own up to that stuff because she assumes all that guilt herself and assumes that, well, she's the only one who can fix it. And we see that at the end of this episode, too. You know, when she just refuses to open the airlock door. And Burnham is right about Spock. I mean, he's using these emotions um, (laughs) in in ways that that she's certainly not used to and in a way that is probably inhibiting his his search for who the Red Angel really is. Um, But I think he I think he was spot on with regard to um, Michael and the mistakes she's made in, in trying to protect others. Right. While we were watching this episode uh, and this scene was on, my wife uh, watches it with me, of course. And and when that argument was taking place, she kept looking at me and goes, Burnham is just wrong with how she's doing this. She's wrong in what she's saying. She's Spock is right. I don't know why. I don't know why she's doing this. I thought it was I thought it was great to see that reaction from from <laughs> someone else watching the show. Um, but I agree with her. I, I look at the, the way that that Burnham is 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 coming along and 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 talking about these single spock and and i'm not agreeing with how she's handling it and how she's doing it i agree with what you said on on spock is right and how he's saying things but she's right and how she's saying certain things back to him Mm -hmm. it's just i'm at a loss for words because i'm trying to put into words how we're going to be able to have this this relationship that we're seeing right now and how it's going to end this season. I said last week that they're going to make up before all is said and done, but what if they don't? And is that going to play into why we never really hear about Michael during TOS? Cause I have a feeling the writers will somehow work it in as to, there is a reason. Um, I, I just, that was tough seeing that chess set go exploding across the room with his emotional outbursts and that he was glad he was able to be angry like that was something I didn't expect from Spock. What about you? No, I just certainly didn't expect it either. I do think that they're not going to be in a great place at the end of this season. I think that they'll have resolved some of their differences. I think that they'll have come to a common understanding, but I don't think that that Spock will return uh, what Michael feels. You know, in, in addition to a lot of guilt, I mean, Michael does love Spock, as Stamets told him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to be seeing eye to eye on the future of their relationship by any means. Right. Well, you just said his name, so let's talk about Spock and Stamets. Uh, your long-range scan last week uh, was a very interesting one. Uh, and if memory serves, you said that uh, Spock was going to be an integral part of having Culber be able to face what's going on with him and be able to start that rebuilding process. But this week we had a little bit of a twist with that long range scan because there was a very, very touching and I think important moment between Spock and Stamets in engineering where, where Stamets was telling Spock about how Michael felt and Spock was giving some pretty interesting advice to Stamets and how to deal with Culber and what Culber was feeling. Absolutely. I, I feel like I can only take half credit for this one. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I thought it was probably one of my favorite scenes of the episode. And it's it's a small scene, but there's a lot that goes on here. I think it's performed incredibly well. I think that that Spock provides Stamets the context that that he desperately needed from somebody other than his own brain. I think on some level Stamets knows these things, but I think he needed to hear it in that way from somebody like Spock, who is, you know, a, a, a truly disinterested third party. Right. For it to really just sort of land with him. Like I said, I, I think he knows it. I just think he's having a hard time coming to terms with it. You know what I mean? I've seen people online actually criticizing this scene over the last couple of days, saying that it wasn't Spock and why would Spock even bother to say something like that? But 
I thought it was perfect for his character and what we've seen and what what we've seen with him from what we know about Spock and what we've seen just in the season with what happened between him and Burnham and him and Sarek and so forth. So I, I thought it was great. And like you, I think it was my favorite scene of the episode this week. Yeah, it's I have a hard time with people criticizing the scene because I think it's absolutely in character with Spock. I think that Spock would offer those words uh, whether he was relying on his logic or his emotion, because we've seen him have similar moments in the original series, yeah. you know, where he offers words like that on some level. So I, um, I, I think it's a, it's like I said, it's probably one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Uh, kudos to both Ethan Peck and, uh, and to Anthony Rapp. I just think it's just a, it's a beautiful job by both of them. Yeah, absolutely. So the discovery heads over to control and I can't help but think of like get smart whenever we talk about control. (laughs) Um, But uh, interesting that for some reason, uh, part of the whole problem on the bridge that we talked about earlier was the use of mines. I'm really not sure why mines aren't allowed um, at any time. I kind of thought that was funny, but that's just kind of a little side note. Let's talk about control for a minute and, and the idea about control and it's AI and, and, I got to say that this is an, uh, a part of the storyline that I'm a little tentative to really sink my teeth into and enjoy because, unfortunately, when we talk about advanced AI, I start thinking about Skynet and Terminator and all these things that could go wrong. And we actually see that kind of happen in this episode. So I'm a little worried that Starfleet would be taking and putting so much stock into an artificial intelligence like this uh, at this point in season two. What do you think? Um, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I have not read these particular novels, but I hear they're the David Mack novels. Oh, Control, yeah. Control is an AI. So, I mean, I think it keeps in line with that. I I think that it establishes how important it is and and how much Starfleet relies on it, which I I think is a fundamental difference between the Starfleet now and the Starfleet we see in 10 years during the original series. Uh, I think that that's actually a really interesting distinction. So uh, I honestly don't have a problem with it. I'm more inclined to believe it's not Skynet, but perhaps Google, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I think it's an interesting way to, to frame this problem, you know, plus it speaks to something at the core of Star Trek. I mean, how many times did we have supercomputers that went awry? You, you are know? great. I am great. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and we have that now in a different way. And I think it's, it's something we didn't necessarily expect. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, I could talk myself into a corner talking about this or just thinking about it, but what, what we saw this week, what does this mean for that probe from the future that we saw during the time gravitational well a couple of weeks ago? What does it mean for section 31? Is this a predestination paradox? Because the probe obviously from what I could gather was section 31's control AI and it tapped into Arium and we saw what happened. They stopped the process and Arium was unable to download that data. My mind's already starting to explode just now just thinking about it because time travel stuff can just drive me crazy. But what are your thoughts on what we saw with with that future probe and and what we saw this week with Section 31 and with Arium? I'm smart enough to know that I don't know enough about time (laughs) to think that they're (laughs) done with this. (laughs) Plus, it's Star Trek. They're not done with this, I'm thinking. You know, I have to think that it's still possibly a problem because they haven't necessarily resolved the issue. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, we still have to find out who the Red Angel is. Because if it were over, I mean, there's no need for us to know who the Red Angel is anymore, probably. Um, And we probably wouldn't be seeing the Red Angel. I have a feeling that the Red Angel has been sort of leaving breadcrumbs for us to get to this point. Sure. I thought it was interesting. I'm going back to last week a little bit when I talk about this, but when we saw what was going on with section 31 and the AI and what we saw with the future probe and what we saw with the visions of Spock uh, in his mind about the destruction of life in the galaxy, those weapons or probes looked very similar to the future probe we saw uh, in that, in that time distortion. So it, it, 
I, I'm glad I'm not in that writer's room because my mind would just be mushed right now trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> uh, mine too, which is why I'm just sort of trying to sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I understand the nature of fans to try to dissect this stuff. I mean, we do it every week. I mean, we mm-hmm. talk about what we think is going to happen. We talk about, you know, what these developments mean in the scope of the Star Trek universe. But I think this is one of those we just have to kind of wait and see on. And it's not, you know, uh, last year we did the same thing with the Klingon War because of the way the story true. unfolded. And I think that's true this season as well. All right. Well, I will. I'll do my best to to take your advice. It's hard, though. <laughs> it is hard. Believe yeah. me, I get it. <laughs> and uh, speaking of hard, let's talk about um, obviously the the big uh, the big thing this week and and Arium. You know, we've loved Arium since we first saw her when she was played by Sarah Mitish last year, and uh, this year she's played by uh, Hannah Cheeseman, and and we've gotten to see her a lot more on the bridge, and and I've I've grown to love the weird little sounds that her her servos make when she's moving and and I've really grown to love the character and this week we got a lot more about Arium we got that backstory that people always want to have backstories about these people on the on the in the crew that that we love and it was a great backstory um it was a sad backstory because you saw this wonderful couple walking the beach and and they just gotten married and then you find out that right after that was the shuttlecraft accident which is why she has that sand in a vial next to that that picture hologram movie thing frame that she had on her desk. And you just couldn't help but just feel so bad. Um, didn't feel as bad as I was going to feel about 45 minutes later, though. Right? <laughs> right? I, I, um, it was... It was something that was crafted, I think, extremely well. It was nice to see that, you know. you It made you wonder how she got from, you know, human walking on a beach mm-hmm. to, you know, cybernetically enhanced human. And was it because of the accident? Was it because mm-hmm. of her grief? You know, a survivor's guilt? Was it because of who knows? And then how much of herself has she lost in that process? Which is why I say this would have made a fantastic short trek. Yeah, you know, to to examine when she became Arium uh, was that her name before? I mean, at what point did she, you know, go from being I don't know Jane Doe to RoboCop? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, I thought it, I, I thought it was hysterical how Tilly called her a robot. Um, that that was really good. Uh, I liked the. I like the dynamic that we've seen with, with Ariam and Tilly, even if some of the things that we've seen only were this episode, which is some of the criticisms that I've heard, which I don't agree with is we see all of these memories and stuff thrown in of them all hanging out. We've never seen that before. So it made it feel cheap. And I don't agree with that. I thought those scenes like the cafeteria scene where they're all sitting and talking and laughing was very well done and makes you have a connection with these characters that, that I feel that other people don't seem to feel. Uh, so I, I like how the writers did what they did. They put, they, it was like they dumped all of this stuff onto the character of Arium so we could really appreciate what she was, what she was before, mm-hmm. what she was now, what she was going through when she was taken over by control. And then boom, she's dead. It made the death that much more a gut, punch like you said earlier because we have just gotten so much of this stuff to really attach to Arium with and then she's ripped away and and sucked out of the airlock or blown out data would say uh so so yeah (laughs) well i mean sometimes that happens in life right i mean Mm -hmm. you're just getting to know somebody and before you know it they're ripped away from you or you know you've you've gotten to know somebody and 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 that happens and maybe the other people around you didn't know you knew them as well as you did Right. I um. I just. I, I thought it was played exceedingly well. I really loved those scenes where you got to see, you know, them acting as friends or relating right. as friends. Do I think we need to see more of that in Discovery? I do. I, I would like to see more of that in Discovery. It doesn't have to be a whole episode. It can be little bits here and there, but I would like to see more of that because I think it adds texture to this crew that some people feel is lacking in the show. <laughs> I, I I totally agree with that, and I I'd like to see that as well. And it doesn't mean that if in one episode all of a sudden we start seeing some backstory about the communications officer that he's going to die at the end of the episode. I don't think that that's what the plan is always going to be. Um, and I appreciate those quote memories that she was saving or deleting because it really let us 
learn about that character. I really like your comment that you made a second ago of whether that was her real name before. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, there are some people also theorizing that perhaps Arium's memories on discovery become Zora. Mm-hmm. I've um, seen that yeah. from, from Calypso. And I, I, I don't think that's the case. I still don't think that Calypso is going to tie in anywhere to, to, to discovery. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of hope it doesn't because I think yeah. it stands alone. So, well, one of the other things that took place with Arium this week um, was, of course, when she was in another area of the ship besides the bridge, um, downloading that information uh, from the uh, from the probe or, or, or the life form, whatever that was that we saw a few weeks ago. And security officer Nan walked in and kind of figured that something just wasn't right. And then later on, on the bridge, when Arium is is – Arium, and then she's control Arium and doing things. Nan is just kind of lurking in the background, watching what's going on. For me, I didn't really like that. She's the chief of security. She's got concerns. She's watching what's going on. She should be making the captain or at least somebody else with a power of authority onto what she's thinking because obviously she waited too long. We know she waited too long, but then again, on the flip side, she didn't waste any time hitting the airlock button. (laughs) So it was kind of two different versions of non that we saw in this episode. And you got to wonder if she was okay. Well, I hesitated before I'm not hesitating this time. I'm hitting that button. I don't feel it was two different versions at all. No, I mean, non doesn't really know this crew. You know, she's only been here, you know, a handful of weeks, perhaps. She has, a, you know, something doesn't feel right, but that's nothing she can necessarily go to the captain on and say, hmm, I don't feel right about this because she's got nothing to back it up. Um, so I can understand that. And besides, I mean, she can hear the communications between Discovery and Burnham and Discovery and uh, Arium. Um, she knows that they're telling Burnham to open the airlock. Because they're going to die otherwise. Yeah, so that's true. she's hitting the airlock because that's survival. The yeah. order was given to to open the airlock, and she sees that Michael's not able to complete the mission and yeah. and execute the order, and so she has to. Do you think that the criticism that we're seeing this weekend in regards to Burnham not following orders again is uh, is justified? I I think the criticism is silly. Yes, um, because yeah. <laughs> Spock highlights in this episode exactly what we saw. Yep, you know mm-hmm. th- this is this is Burnham's guilt coming home to roost. Right, you know she she's got to be the one to fix it. She can do it if she can just get access to control. She can stop it and and do whatever. No, no, she can't. You know her limitation at this point almost cost her her life. Right. And I I totally agree with you. I was posing the question because we see some of these things uh, online after the episodes. And and no, I I totally agree with what you just said. Uh, It is her character. There there are a few questions that I think we should address. Some people saying, well, why didn't they just beam Arium out of there? No. Um, Where to? You can't beam her back to Discovery because she's already said she's going to kill Burnham and get to control and complete the upload. Mm-hmm. If she gets beamed to Discovery, even to the brig, she's going to find a way out of it. She right. had weeks unfettered to build in safeguards for herself as control area. And she's going to kill people who get in her way to get back to control. Right. Uh, well, and then could they have beamed Burnham out of there? Um, sure. But then Arium still gets through the door and gets to exactly. control. Yep, Exactly. Yeah, that's been a we've seen. I've seen a lot of that uh, over the weekend, and you're right. And and she even she even said to Burnham that she, it would she had you know the red blink had happened, so she was back to herself, but she could not control her own motor functions because right. of the because of the virus or whatever was implanted in her. So yeah, I totally agree with that as well. They, they could not be have beamed her back to the ship. That would have been a disaster. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not that you know they forgot about the transporters. It's like, well, what are you going to do with them? Because it doesn't solve the situation. And finally, I guess what I want to talk about, Bill, with Arium is, of course, that final scene. It was gut wrenching to watch. Um, they focused in on Arium and and Burnham and Tilly. Tilly was magnificent in what she did, and I think that the ending of this episode was the most classful ending to an episode that we have seen in discovery all season long just that memory system failure fade to black no music no noise nothing at all 
end credits. One correction. There were noises. There were beach sounds. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean music. I, I should. Yeah. I'm sorry. I meant more music. Yes. The beat sounds of, of that video that she was watching. I really thought that was great. We used to see that on 24 when a big character would die that you wouldn't hear yep. the clock ticking yep. at the end of the episode. But I thought and I always like I always appreciated that. I think this was very, very well done. It was a great way to end the episode. I, I want to say that you and I saw it earlier in the week on a screener from CBS PR. And we don't get to see the preview for next week when we watch it that way. So I thought it was more impactful to not have the preview before the end credits. Um, I think when they inserted that this week, it really sort of broke up that emotion for the end of the episode. And I think that's a real misstep by, by CBS All Access on this one. But I think you're right. I think that not having the music by just having the beach sounds and, and her, that being the last memory she has is, is probably the best way to end this episode. Right. Well, we've reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those that have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Well, uh, Bill, for weeks I've been joking about how boring this segment has become because there hasn't been anything going on to report here in the good old RSRC. But, uh, yeah, be careful what you wish for, right, buddy? We are back in business, buddy. (laughs) The roll call is just teeming with names this week. Um, First up, we got to say, we got to hand it to... Admiral Pitar, the Vulcan, in charge at the, at the base of Section Thirty One, and the three other Admiral Meat Popsicles that were there. Um, they met an unfortunate end, where we're guessing they froze to death when life support was turned off, um, trying to get out of there. But uh, you know, we we gotta we gotta give some respect to Admiral Pitar and the Meat Pops, which is <laughs> consequently the name of my White Snake cover band. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Go with it. Thank yes. you. And then Dan, of course. We would be remiss if we did not recognize Commander Arium from the Starship Discovery. That was a rough one this week, buddy. I felt it. Uh, you felt it. Um, it's, a, it's a sad, sad loss, and uh, it's a character I'm going to miss because I, I wanted to know more. I, I see the potential to be the data of this series um, in a way with, uh, with some of those scenes. Even this week, I, th- I thought some of them were very evocative of, of some of Data's journey. But um, it's it's definitely a tough one, buddy, and um, it's uh, it's it's one we're gonna miss. Absolutely, you know, it's it's like Walking Dead, it's like Game of Thrones, Star Trek Discovery. We now know no character is safe, so we raise a glass of Synthahall to hers and everyone else's honor as we say goodbye to those that we lost this week in the red shirt roll call. This week's episode, of course, is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, we love to talk about their amazing line of pin products and pin collectibles because they truly are the best in the industry. We don't say that because, you know, they sponsored the show. We say that because we were customers of Fansets long before they were sponsors of ours. You know, when you place an order at Fansets.com, you can truly be confident that you are getting the best products, the best prices, and hands down, barn on the best customer service around. Lou, John, and the entire Fansets team truly have the same passion for Star Trek as you and I, and it really shows with every pin they release. New Star Trek pins now are being released twice a month, and this month we've already seen the release of Mirror Landry, and we just got, a couple of days ago as we record this, Tom Paris from Voyager. So both of March's releases are out and they are fantastic. And those pins are now available at fansets.com as well as almost 200 other unique Star Trek pins. So do yourself a favor, head on over to their site, put a bunch of pins and accessories into your cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code, ARIAM. That's A-I-R-I-A-M in all capital letters. And be sure to spell it right (laughs) because I spell this one wrong all the time, Dan. (laughs) And that's going to get you 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. Now, this code is going to be available to use until Sunday, March 24th, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. 
That's awesome. And in addition to those two beautiful pins that you mentioned, Bill, Landry and Paris, we want to congratulate our friends at Fansets for the list of new products that will be showing up on the horizon in the coming months. Very soon, you'll be able to add pins to your collection from the likes of The Big Bang Theory, Ultraman, the new show announced on Netflix, as well as the original show from the 60s, the Irwin Allen Collection, and the most recently announced Supernatural line of pins. Plus, don't worry, Star Trek fans, there's a whole lot of things on the way. Next month, you can look forward to Dr. Phlox from Enterprise and Deep Space Nine's favorite engineer, Miles Edward O'Brien, will be available. And then later this spring, the Season 2 set of Discovery episodic pins will be available. After that, the unbelievable uniform series set of pins with actual fabric from uniforms worn on set and the reimagined Macro Fleet line of ship pins will be coming. All of these pins will be heading your way in 2019. Fansets, we are Star Trek, and as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Bill, I gotta, I gotta think that this week there was a lot of of heavy thinking going on for this segment. Uh, there was, and it's um, it's pretty poignant. I mean, you take a look at that final scene of the episode where Arium, you know, seeing her most treasured memory as as her system starts to shut down. And, you know, it, it, it made me consider a lot about, you know, the, the ends of our existence, you know, on this rock, you know, Tilly does Arium the favor of sending her her favorite memory. And at the time she says, I, I can't look at that now because, you know, she's busy trying to do control type things, but as she's blown out into space and as the, the vacuum and the cold begin to take their toll, this memory starts to play. And I can only hope that we all are that lucky at that particular time. I don't mean to be a downer on this one, but you know, it's a stark reminder that we have to remember the good times. You know, we do so many things, you know, we have the stress of work and our family lives and bills and money and, you know, um, uh, a million little things that, that are, you know, savage paper cuts that, that take our energy and our time. And, and, you know, we, we forget the things that bring us joy and we forget the, the good times that we've truly had. So what this episode teaches me this week is that with everything going on, you have to stop and, and take stock of the good things that are around you because this existence is far too short. And as we've learned with Arium, it can be over at any time. This week was a real jumble for me to try to figure out what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. And an unfortunate event kind of put things in focus for me. This week, we saw how the bond of friendship and family can rip the heart out of someone, even if it's, you know, the best feeling in the world that you have for somebody. Here we have someone who's become as close a friend to many of the crew as possible. And she's manipulated and forced to do the evil deeds of someone else. And I find it interesting that in Star Trek, it took an augmented human to be, quote, reprogrammed to try and overpower the ship and the crew and do unthinkable things. But here in 2019, we don't need augmented humans because we have sick and evil people doing things like this on their own. As we record this, the world is still coming to terms with the horrible events that took place in Christchurch, New Zealand and the acts of hate and racism and cowardice by a small no one who thought he was superior to anyone else. When are we ever going to learn? When will the world that Gene envisioned become a reality where we can accept everyone as they are? Black, white, alien, augments, androids, whatever the difference is, there's no difference. That's the key. I fear that with each passing day when these sick acts against humanity take place that we're never going to reach that vision, and that really scares me. I know it's not going to happen in my lifetime, and it's probably not going to happen in my kid's lifetime, but I want to think it's going to happen. When will people just be able to love people for what they are? Commendation, palm leaf of Axonar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, 
Fred Terrace, Ribbon of Commendation. Okay, Bill, as we head to Starfleet Commendations, this is always the fun part of the show. After the seriousness of humanity, I like to, you know, do things that are fun. And uh, so here we go with Starfleet Commendations. Let's see what you picked this week for your special awards, buddy. You know, I could have gone on and on and on and on like I did last week, but uh, suffice it to say that these three are not the only commendations I would hand out because there are just so many great performances this week and so much great work in this episode this week. But I got to pick three, and so here they are. First up, Jonathan Frakes. Man, this guy is is amazing. You know, he understands the heart and soul of Star Trek because he's so closely tied to it. And he just directs things that are beautiful to look at and that tell good stories. I'm glad this episode was in his hands, quite frankly, because he just totally, totally did an amazing job. Uh, secondly, Michelle Paradise, the, uh, the writer of this episode and also the... Uh, She'll be the season three showrunner, which I think is pretty exciting. I think this is a great script, and I think that it was one that um, that hit all the right notes. It uh, it made me think of TNG and the way that these characters related to each other, and that was something that that really gave me a great feeling. And then, of course, my heart was ripped out of its chest and thrown on the floor as it was blown out an airlock. But that's a different discussion for a different time, Michelle. And then, lastly. <laughs> um, what can you say? Hannah Cheeseman did an amazing job uh, as Arium. I'm I'm sad that Arium's time is over uh, on the Discovery as a member of the crew, but uh, what a performance! You know, she uh, she truly did an amazing job. I gotta I gotta think it's hard to to act behind makeup that makes your face look like a synthetic material like plastic and metal. And she really conveyed a whole lot of emotion this week, which I thought was just spectacular. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to echo uh, a couple of those uh, same commendations. I will certainly give my first commendation to Hannah Cheeseman. It's, it, she did a great job uh, as Arian for, for way too short a time. Uh, I have to add, she really um, she made the character come to life in a short amount of time. And especially in this episode, when you put it into one episode where we really got to focus in on her. She just really, really did a great job. And like you said, similar with Doug Jones, how these people can can act and show these emotions come through with so much makeup and prosthetics covering their face is is something that I never could understand. And they do a, just a brilliant job. Um, I also got to give a commendation like you did to Michelle Paradise. This was her first Star Trek story. And it had humor, tension, adventure, horror when you think of what it was like in 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 control with with blood floating around and and what appeared to be one body at least cut in half um she did a great job and knowing that she's going to be one of the showrunners for season three uh puts a big smile on my face i've always been uh one to praise the writer's room because i think it is well deserved and uh michelle is is certainly uh in that list as of now. So congratulations on a great episode, Michelle. And my final commendation is going to be for the wonderful and talented Jane Brooke. Admiral Cornwell, Cornwell is just awesome. I love her sassiness. I like the way that she's able to control what's going on in the room. No pun intended. I want to see more of her. I, like I said, I hope she does not become a bad girl like you, Bill. I don't think she will, but we kind of have those things going on that make you question, wow, what's really up with her. But I love how she portrays this character, and I hope we get to see a lot more of her before the end of this season and before the end of Discovery's complete run, because I think she's a great addition to that cast. Long-range scan of planet complete. Mr. Smith, what is next for Discovery Episode 10 uh, coming up in the rest of Season 2? Here in Long Range Scans, we'll talk about what we think is going to happen in the coming weeks. You know, the last few episodes have shown the sense of family that this crew has for one another. Uh, Totally took place in this episode as well. We've seen Burnham struggle with having to perform an impossible task and open that airlock to stop Arium, and she couldn't do it. And we saw security chief Nan take care of it. And, and Arium is now gone and, and the crew has to suffer through that. I, dude, I just, I don't think that's the end of the suffering. I think before this season is over, a member of the crew and perhaps an important member of this crew is going to sacrifice themselves to save someone or the entire crew of discovery. 
Ooh, that's a heavy one, man. Yeah, I, it is. Uh, I get the sense you could be right. Um, I hope you're wrong. I really do, but I get the sense that you could be right. Ick. Um, let's see, what do I have? Well, I'm going to update a couple of ones that I had before and then I'm going to move on to a new one. So, uh, one, I I said weeks ago that Burnham was the red angel. I think Burnham's the red angel. And I think that we kind of got that teased to us this week. So, uh, I can't wait to, uh, chalk up another win for me in the, uh, (laughs) in the prediction column. If that happens, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying I'm going to do a victory dance, Dan, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a victory dance. Uh, second Lorca. Okay. So Lorca is not control. I got that one wrong, but I do think we're still going to see him in the remaining five episodes of this season. I think that it's not going to be, it's not going to be a a lot. Maybe it sets up something in season three, but I do think we're going to see prime Lorca. Not Mirror Lorca, Prime Lorca. And lastly, I think Spock is probably going to wind up having to save Burnham in the way that she had hoped to save him. And I think that's going to humble her a little. I think she's going to maybe step back from her uh, her belief that she's the only one who, who can take these things on or or whatever. But I think that it's it's going to bridge some of the gap between them but it's not going to repair the relationship. Very nice. I got a, I got a couple comments about your long range scans. Cause I liked all of them. One, I've been trying to figure out who the red angel could be. And, and I have to agree that right now, the only real logical one I can come up with is Burnham. So I think you're going to be right about that. I've been trying to think of anybody. I thought it might be Arium and I don't think that's going to be the case now, obviously, but, um, uh, it, I hope it's not, I, I hope it's not really, because that seems to be the, what everyone's going to right now. So I want to be surprised. And two, dude, I got to tell you, I hope Lorca shows up again. And if, if, if he does, it is going to be the biggest secret that discovery has been able to keep since Talos four and the, and the Talosians, because we have not seen anything on social media from Jason Isaacs or anybody to even hint at that. So I hope it happens because that would be great. I think they learned their lesson with the whole uh, Ash Voke Ash thing last year. You know, creating the uh, the, the fake persona, the fake credit for uh, for Voke. I, I think they learned their lesson just to keep it quiet. And uh, I just that's the feeling I get. I don't know. I just I get I get this sense that we're the fortune cookie. I I know it, it may not be <laughs> nothing, but I still think we're going to see Lorca. All right, Bill. So. This was a tough episode, I gotta say. I'm hoping that next week I'll have uh, some more cheeriness to it, but I know we're gonna be um, dealing with the effects of the loss of Arium, as we saw in the preview. What do we have coming up next week, buddy? Well, Dan, next week we're gonna hit double digits as we consider the tenth episode of the season of Star Trek Discovery, titled "The Red Angel." Huh, I wonder what that's gonna be about. Will we finally discover who or what is behind this mysterious being? Will the crew suffer another devastating loss like they did this week? Will we find out who the Red Angel is? I mean, I gotta know. I got to know, yo. Although I think we know. I think we know. But we're gonna find out some of that, hopefully, next week. Until then, remember, you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Plus now, you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content. See the first of our beautiful annual supporters pins from fan sets. And check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt design along with so many other perks, Dan. Nice. And speaking of Patreon, Bill, uh, we want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We are so thankful for their support. Ken Tripp, Casey Shasky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Halloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, Patrick Escudero, Charlie Mulvey, Scott Vashon, Matt McGonagall, and Harry Michelson. Thank you so much, folks. Now, if you would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for these Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks to sign up. 
Well, folks, that is it for us and our discussion on Project Daedalus. This was a tough one. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and about Discovering Trek as well. We thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And we look forward to sitting down again next week to talk about Episode 10 and the Red Angel. Until then... Here are some words of wisdom from Commander Michael Burnham. Sometimes the only way to find out where you fit in is to step out of the routine. Because sometimes where you really belong was waiting right around the corner all along. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.